0: Kurt Murphy just came in and said his sister passed away on Friday night uh Nicole Lee texted me or we texted this morning her dad passed away last night at 6 30 and then uh you all walked in uh I didn't know this family last Sunday but uh they lost a a child this week, and I was on the chaplain call on Monday and got to know the Absher family, and they're literally from all over the world. I found out yesterday they came here uh, and did the funeral yesterday for a child. I pretty much held it together until I saw you all walk in, but... uh Death is, uh, here. I my sister's best friend is put on a ventilator yesterday and just watching it. But the, the thing that overwhelms me is if, uh, death surrounds us, this is the place that you come for life right here. You come here for life, uh, cause we're going to teach the word and, uh, I believe it with all my heart, I believe it with what we deliver today, uh, that this is true as can be. And so I thank you for being here today. I'm sure there's others that uh, have stuff going on as well, Uh, and not to belittle that or anything else, but um, I trust the Lord knows what it is. I trust the Lord knows what it is. Uh, Luke, would you pray for us? Amen. I, you know, you see me up here a little emotional, but it's, it's literally because I grieve with you. We as a body grieve uh, in the loss of the loved ones. That's what as we as a community do. We're all one, and it hurts. It hurts to see us lose some loved ones. Um, I missed you last week. Last week I was... Uh, actually traveling with some friends and had a great week. And uh, we were traveling back on Sunday, and Matt was up here. And he had one of the fun passages of the Scripture. Sorry, Matt. It just worked out that way. But uh, we began, uh, actually, for those of you that are guests with us today, what we've been doing for literally the last couple of years is we went through the Gospels, and then we continued on through Acts, and as we've gone through Acts, Paul's written these letters to different churches, and we've gone through the letters as he's, as he's written them, and we're in 1 Corinthians. <clears throat> the letter that he's written here, he's really, I'm just praying my heart would just settle down right now. Chapter uh, 7 dealt with a collection of issues surrounding marriage, and then we got into chapters 8 through 10, and he was talking about food sacrifices that were made to the idols, and they related to some concerns that were being expressed to him. And then we get to chapters 11 through 14, and he's talking about a series of issues that are bound up directly with as the community gathered and they worshipped in public, I have a problem with calling this a worship service because I believe that everything that we do is worship. There's a holy living God inside of me and inside of you who are believers. And so every time I take a breath, that's worship. It's not just coming here on Sunday mornings at 8.30 and singing a few songs and reading scripture and then going throughout your week. It's it's us living. And so he's literally talking about this community gathering and the issues that are going on. And we left last week with Matt talking about head coverings, like that was an important issue back then. And I think that you remember me teaching that during the reign of Augustus Caesar that there was this group increasingly called the New Roman Woman, who was looking to advance themselves among the community and among the men and Things like that, and uh, not much different than today, you know, uh, but that's what they were dealing with. And so apparently some of these women were having an opportunity to pray and prophesy, but without what Paul believes is the appropriate head covering. If you look at the Greek text there about head covering, it literally just says, comes down. Down. Like, we don't know if that's a veil, an actual head covering, or if it's the length of the hair. This is discussed among theologians. And you know what? It's a cultural thing at the time, and I don't know how important it was. Except for Paul, he wanted to say there's a difference between men and women, I have no problem with that. I hope you have no problem with that. I'm not saying one is better than the other. I'm not saying that at all, but we were created differently. When I do a wedding, I make note that there's a man standing there, known as the groom, in a tuxedo with a tie and everything on, and there's a woman there that's got a wedding dress on, and I say, look, you're dressed differently because you were created differently. We act differently But you see, since the fall happened in Genesis chapter 3, all the way back there, there's been this competition between men and women. It says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, this is after sin occurred, he said to the woman, I will intensify your labor pains. You're familiar with that part. That was the penalty for her sin. You will bear children with painful effort. But what about this part? Your desire will be for your husband, yet he will rule over you. It was at that point that competition began between men and women. That the woman wanted to be in the same place as the man, that they wanted to be, not saying equal, but to be able to do the same thing. When he's clearly saying, you're created differently. You're both different. And as for the head covering, I again personally believe it was a cultural practice of both men and women showing their fidelity to their relationship with Jesus. It was their way to signify their identification is both different for men and for women. And Paul was explaining this very clearly. This is all what Matt got to deal with last week. And then we get to verse 17. Paul turns to a second issue concerning the, the public worship, and this is what we'll talk about today. Uh, since the beginning of the church, it's really been customary for us to eat together. You thought that was a Southern Baptist thing, but uh, they've been doing that for a long time, that the churches would get together in each other's house, and they would provide a meal and that they would eat together. I and mean, when they would talk about their week, they would grieve together. You guys had meals together. That's it, what they did. They just ate together. It was an opportunity for fellowship. And it was actually an opportunity for, for them, the, the wealthy people, to share with those who were less privileged. That's what it was there for. Verse 17, it says this. Now, in giving this instruction, I do not praise you, since you come together not for the better, but for the worse. Remember, he wrote in Romans that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's not condemning them, but he's literally calling them out. He's stating the obvious right here. Sometimes you have to state the obvious to believers. He says... For to begin with, I hear that when you come together as a church, there are divisions among you, and in part, I believe it. Indeed, it is necessary that there be factions among you so that those who are approved may be recognized among you. When you come together, then, it is not to eat the Lord's Supper. For at the meal, each one eats his own supper. So one person is hungry while another gets drunk. <laughs> Paul literally right here, he's not saying stop having your love feast. He's not saying that. He's saying you need to think about what you're doing. He's literally telling them what to do and what not to do. Again, he's stating the obvious. He said don't get drunk when we come together. We've had to say that even here in this room. Don't get drunk when we have a social event here. It's not appropriate. Sometimes you have, doesn't mean you stop doing it. It just means you have to state the obvious. Verse 22, it says, Don't you have homes in which to eat and drink? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What should I say to you? Should I praise you? I do not praise you in this matter. Uh, I think it's interesting that he used the word praise rather than proud. I'm not proud of you, because proud is a form of pride. But he's like, I literally cannot give praise for you. There was this divide between the wealthy and the vast majority of the church in Corinth, which was poor. They would have these what they call symposiums. We think of a symposium as a get-together, and you talk about a certain subject. But their symposium was this love feast. That's what it was. It was a dinner. You would take like three long tables, and you would put them in the shape of a U. And people would sit on the floor, and they would dine together. The servants would come in and serve from inside the table, kind of like uh, those hibachi grills, you know what I'm talking about? That you... Go to where everybody sits around in a U and they serve you food. This is exactly what was happening at this point. They actually called this the love feast, and it was for the saints that gathered together. For us, it would be kind of like a potluck dinner. When we do a potluck dinner, everybody brings food. Each family brought their own food and their drink to share with each other. But that's not what was happening here the rich would bring food and drink enough for them, and then what was ever left over, the poor would get. And this is what bothered Paul. This is what obviously bothered the people who came to Paul and said, there's a problem here. And Paul's like writing back, okay, this isn't the way it's supposed to work. You know, here's an interesting thing, is today we gather on Cyber Weekend, right but back over there we've bought we've bought and filled 175 stockings for children that are less privileged in our community you have done great things in this room this last two weeks thank you for doing that this is literally what Paul's saying he's like hey you guys can celebrate christmas But don't forget about those that are less privileged than you. Take care of them. Provide for them. Watch this. There is a balance in taking care of the poor and taking care of yourself. Hmm. The balance is dependent upon the spirit inside of you. That's it. Look. Whatever the Spirit leads you to do, that's what you do. You're free. What's good for one family may not be good for the other family. It's how the Spirit leads that family. I trust that. That's what community is all about. And then verse 23 says this. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And the same way, he also took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. <laughs> now here... Think about this. This is really interesting right here. Paul's wording of that passage of Scripture right there is very similar to the wording in Luke chapter 22. Now think about this. That Luke chapter 22 was Jesus' last supper. All three of the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, have similar accounts of that last night with Jesus and the last supper. But Luke's gospel was written in the 60s, like 60-something A.D. But this letter that Paul wrote to the Corinthians was actually written in the 50s, the mid-50s. Paul wrote this letter before Matthew, Mark, and Luke ever wrote their gospels. So how is it similar? Well, one, Luke's traveling with Paul. And they are remembering exactly what happened that last night, Jesus with with his disciples. And they continue to teach the people there in the churches, this is what Jesus told us to do. They kept that oral tradition going. It wasn't because they had this book and it told them what to do. They were together. But here's the interesting thing. Jesus took the cup and the loaf and really the ingredients of a a common meal. You're typically going to have some kind of bread at your meal and you're going to have some kind of drink at your meal and transform them into a meaningful spiritual experience for believers. However, the value of that experience depends on the condition of the heart of those who participate. And this was the problem at the church at Corinth. No one would have ever imagined that somehow that bread supernaturally became molecular extensions of themselves, their hands and their fingers. It was purely symbolic. The bread represents, in a deep and meaningful and religiously poignant way, my body about to be given for you in death on the cross is what Jesus meant. Jesus wants us to remember how he died. Why? Because everything we have in, as Christians centers around death. You can see why I'm overwhelmed with the message today we must remember that he died because this was a part of the gospel message. Christ died and was buried. He writes about this later in chapter 15. He rose from the dead to conquer death. And he ascended upon high and sat at the right hand of the Father. And he and the Father sent a spirit here to dwell among the believers. Where does he dwell? Right here. The Holy Spirit has taken up residence in your mortal bodies. One amen. <laughs> There is a holy, living God inside of you that wants to not only give you direction, but says, let me live your life for you. Submit. Submit. Submit to me, and I'll do it for you. You've tried. You can't do it. You're not successful. Try to obey the law. Try to obey the Ten Commandments. Can't do it. I'll do it for you. Just let me do it. You rest. Let me do it. It's the same thing Jesus did when he was here on the earth. He said, these miracles that you saw me do, I didn't do them. My father did them. You may have seen me perform the miracles, but it wasn't me doing it. There was a whole other source that was doing it, and that was my father. And that's literally the way that we walk around here today. We have the ability to really live here on earth and even after here for eternity. Watch this. Let's practice the Lord's Supper today in a COVID-style way, a pandemic-style way. There's nothing to pass out. There's nothing for anybody to touch. I'm just going to ask you to take your hand and place it to your mouth. And he says this, in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and saying, this is the cup, it's the new covenant in my blood. No, the cup and its contents have not suddenly become blood that uh, has become a part of Jesus in you or anything. It's Typically, symbolization, it's a profound way, Jesus giving of his life, his blood, his death on the cross. And he says, do this whenever you drink it. His blood was literally shed as a sacrifice for our sins. Listen to me. Total forgiveness was made available for all. For all. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. He, get, he loved the world. It was available for all. Total forgiveness is received by those who believe. Total forgiveness. If Jesus died thirty thirty AD and his blood was poured out and covered all sin from Adam to the future... Everything you've done, everything you're doing, and everything you're going to do has already been covered. One amen. Everything you've done, everything you're doing, and everything you're going to do has already been covered. Not only covered, but forgiven, removed, and forgotten. Everything that you're going to do has already been dealt with and forgotten. It's, there's no other transaction. He did it one time. Jesus died one time. His blood was poured out one time. He's not getting back up on the cross after we die. He did it one time already for you. It's a state of forgiveness that we live in. And so when he says this, he says, take the cup. We take the cup with both hands, and we drink today in remembrance of our Father. (laughs) Jesus may not be literally present in the bread or in the cup, but he is present. He is present spiritually right here today. Verse 27 says this, So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sin against the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself in this way. Let him eat the bread and drink from the cup. Oh, that verse is the kicker right there. And you know what I'm talking about. Because you grew up like I did And you probably heard, hey, we're getting ready to take the Lord's Supper. You need to examine yourself. You need to make sure that you're forgiven, that you're pure, and that anything that's against you needs to be forgiven right now, or else you can't participate in the Lord's Supper. That's what I heard my whole life, you know. Oh, and so you're sitting there trying to think of all the sins that you've done, and you're trying to ask for forgiveness at the last second right before they pass that cup. And it's stressful, it was never intended to be that way. That's not what he's talking about. He's like, he's like, examine to see if they're worthy. Really? No, examine to see if they are behaving unworthily. In an unworthy manner. Are you going to forget about the poor? Like, is this why you're coming to do the Lord's Supper? Is it you guys just going to pig out, have a great time, get drunk, and you're just going to forget about the poor, and you're going to. He's not talking about examining all your sins because there's already no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He's already dealt with it. He's died one time on the cross. He's like, why would you practice the Lord's Supper like this? That doesn't even make sense. So when you do practice the Lord's Supper, You can be free of guilt and shame and everything else because he's already forgiven you. It's not about that. That's probably why churches don't even do a full meal anymore. They just do this little cracker and this drink. It was awesome this last few weeks ago, we, Pinhead, served us breakfast during the service and we literally got to do the Lord's Supper while we ate breakfast right here in the middle of the service. That's, that's what it was like. Everybody got to have a bountiful amount of food. Everybody was equal. There was no charge. There was donations, but no charge. And look, I'm not boasting. I'm not boasting. I'm just saying, this is biblical. It's the way it's supposed to be done. And so, when you look at that passage of Scripture, he's really talking about are you doing the Lord's Supper right? Are you remembering for what it really is? And then we get to these last few verses. It says, Forever eats and drinks without recognizing the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. This is why many are sick and ill among you, and many have fallen asleep. Fallen asleep means many have died. If you are properly judging ourselves, we would not be judged, but when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned with the world. Not condemned by God, but condemned by the world. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, when you come together to eat, welcome one another. If anyone is hungry, he should eat at home, so that when you gather together, you will not come under judgment. If you're going to pig out, eat something before you come. Leave food for the poor, lead food for those who need it. He says, "I will give instructions about other matters whenever I come. We well, are not done dealing with stuff. When I get there, we're going to deal with this stuff face to face. There's plenty to talk about. The communion he's talking about, it's not supposed to be a time of spiritual autopsy for yourself. That's not what this is about. It should be a time of thanksgiving." In joyful anticipation of seeing the Lord, Jesus even gave thanks, even though he was about to suffer and die. And so now, here we are, Thanksgiving week, and we're able to give thanks because, one, he died and rose again so that you may have life to the fullest, His blood was poured out so your sins would be forgiven and you could literally walk around here without shame and guilt that the evil one wants to put on you. I'm saying you can be Christians and have a smile on your face. Even when you're in the midst of the worst sin possible, You're probably not going to hear that in too many churches. You see, because I believe if you can figure this thing out, what he's done for you, what the sacrifice was, what God sending his only son to die for us was all about, the desire for you to sin will go away. The more you know him, the more you understand what he did for you. That desire fades. When you truly figure out what Jesus did for us, what we have inside, it changes everything. It changes everything. You come here for life. Sometimes we lose focus. We lose focus and we need to be reminded by just... Stating the obvious. Okay. We'll state the obvious when we have to. But remember what it was like when you stepped out of religion for the first time? And you figured out what a relationship was like? Remember that? I do. I was underneath my office desk crying like a baby because religion had just destroyed me. And it took me a while, but I came out. I came out, and man, I ain't going back. I'm not going back. It is the difference from just being alive versus living. You, in the midst of our sorrow, in the midst of our grief, in the midst of the chaos of this world, in the midst of death, you can really live right now. You can really live. Yesterday, as we buried Chase, I had the opportunity to share a song with this family. And I'd like to share it with you today. I'm going to have them turn the cameras off. Sorry if you're at home. You don't get to hear this. Uh, But this is the new song by our friends that's not out yet. And uh, I think it pretty much says... What we've talked about here today is that you can have life, that you can really live. My friend Chase, who I never got to meet, he's dancing in heaven. Terry's dancing in heaven. Sherry's dancing in heaven. Flying. The thing is, we can do that right here right now today if you have to come back here every week to be reminded of what you got please do because we're going to tell you every week what you got right here father i pray for my family i pray for those who have lost loved ones this week And those that are even dealing with it this next few weeks, I pray that you would bring them peace, that you would bring them comfort. you would just let them know that you're real. And that they can have life even in the midst of this grief. They can have a smile on their face. I trust you with my life and their life. And I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.